0: hello and welcome to the it's all film and games podcast i am Corey stillman alongside me are dane samir sam and a very special guest tonight who goes by the name of john nally and john say hello to the listeners at home
1: why hello
0: <laughs> so, so john is uh is doing a great Corey impression First of all. I feel like I've I've by now I've kind of trademarked that hello. Well, yeah. John
2: might be the only person we ever have on this podcast that knows the lore of
0: our
3: podcast. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. He knows lore. like
2: the yeah. individual themes of of that's what true. we do. OG.
0: That's true. All of John, our, all uh, of our character in...
3: development and these plot lines that are developing. <laughs> hmm
4: Yeah. That.
0: Yeah, we should we should point out that John is kind of the uh, the winner of a contest, which is like a, like a very informal contest that we had a couple uh, weeks. Highly ago. competitive, yeah, highly competitive. <laughs> where we asked listeners to leave a review uh, for our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, John was kind enough to to leave a review for us, and so uh, that's why he's here as a guest. Although John would have almost inevitably become a guest anyway at some point. Uh, at some um, point, <laughs> just because he has been such a loyal listener and he's a, he's a good friend uh, of the show. Um, but it's a little different this episode than some of our previous uh, episodes to feature guests. Uh, John's not uh, a bachelor the way Will Gamble was on our on
1: our. On well, our
2: that's
0: debatable. Uh, I mean, yeah,
2: John, yeah. You, you're always a bachelor. Depends on the
1: definition. Hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a bachelor's in science. That's. what
0: I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Nor is he a woman, so so he's not going to be a, uh, uh, quite like our Emmeline episode. Uh, either, which is also fun when Ramblin brought us three of her favorite films. Today's the first time, weirdly enough, it's the first time we're really doing a deep dive into one singular, although kind of two films. Uh, and we're going to be looking back at the very popular 1996 film Train Spotting by Danny Boyle, as well as its sequel, uh, which is even poorly named, I got to say. T2 Train Spotting.
2: Yeah, they uh, just gave up with that. From name, 2017.
0: Like, why isn't it just Train Spotting 2?
2: Because was... isn't T2 like a station? Terminator 2? Isn't that.
5: Yeah, it's yeah Terminator 2. I there is it's like a...
0: T2, I think of Terminator 2.
5: Well, the alternate title for this movie was going to be called Porno, uh, which was the name yeah. of the novel that it's based on. Oh. So I, I feel like that would have been a much cooler title because, yeah, like the sequel to Train Spotting, like the book is called Porno. So, but. T two, I think John was telling me this, uh, which we can get into. But there is a reason, like a thematic reason, why it's called T two.
0: Um, but yeah,
3: they should have just made train plural trains. Yeah, <laughs> it should be spotting. trains. Trains. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I guess I'm about to to learn a a couple new things. But uh, yeah, we'll get into it. And uh, you know, this episode is gonna be. I think you know, we 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 build our survivor finale is one of the most obnoxious episodes we'll ever do and i think it lived up to that billing it was horrible Uh, it was unlistenable thanks to (laughs) my wondrous victory and sam's obnoxious complaints uh Uh, but but depending on the kind of listener you are this could top that uh in terms of uh, obnoxiousness um just because i think we will be getting uh pretty obnoxiously political um we're sort of centering this conversation around late-stage capitalism which not only are these films i think interesting to talk about in conjunction with that topic but danny boyle as a director and his entire sort of filmography uh is a really interesting one to dissect under that lens and we can we can talk about danny boyle more broadly but let's get some initial thoughts on train spotting both the first film and its sequel uh yeah any whoever wants to start just just let me let me know some of your thoughts this was I, i last thing i'll say is this was a new film to me. It's a it's a really popular. popular I think film. it's only new
2: to you. Really, you haven't seen yeah. that? I was gonna. I wanted. I wanted I to start it off by saying, like, Trainspotting to me is a rite of passage for any mediocre film bro to mm-hmm. watch in high school. Yeah. I was gonna say, like I'm, this I, was. I watched this film. This was, I watched. I thought Letterboxd. I. I, too. I thought I was hot fucking shit when I watched this when I was sixteen. Yeah. I was like, I'm watching a movie about heroin addicts. Like, it's not American. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so mature. So cultured and. Yeah, I know, and I told everyone about it, and even like, on retrospect, <laughs> I realized I didn't retain anything on the first viewing. I remembered literally just, spoiler, the dead baby, and that's, that's yeah. it. That's the only thing I remembered. Yeah, I, w- but, um, I
3: watched it my sophomore year of high school, and uh, any theme went right over my head, so it was really fun to go back and watch this one.
5: Yeah, I watched it at the same time, my sophomore year of high school. And pretty much right after that, uh, for the next probably three months, I was just yelling, Choose podcast, choose whatever. And just like <laughs> anything someone would say to me, I would add choose in front of it. And that was my experience with the movie, um, which is probably what the author intended <laughs> or the Danny Boyle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was pretty blown think... away by
0: that. I'll
1: say. I think like the wild thing with this movie so when i was a ninth grader i was being confirmed into the catholic church because my family's catholic and um part of the confirmation process was going to like a narcotics anonymous meeting um in a church so i I was listening to these like um basically like cocaine and like heroin addicts give like their testimonials then like a few months later i saw this like movie about scottish heroin addicts (laughs) just like sort of like stuck in the back of my mind like glue. And it's just like it's such a frenetic movie like the pace it's going to like just the way like danny boyle like even directed it um it was just so visually interesting and it felt like a music video a lot of the times and it just like stuck in my head and Mm -hmm. i never really thought about it again until the end of college basically
2: it's interesting that you mention it being like a music video because i remember the the first time and especially the second time i was watching it it really felt like i was on like the mtv channel like very much like the 1990s I love that. Yeah, I love that like so that 1990s much. aesthetic of like it's so filmed cool. filmed well, I, on 35 millimeter like wide lens mm-hmm. um, the majority of the time it it, which oh. we'll talk about the second movie but i think the the visual aesthetic of the first is is brilliant throughout it's one of the most visually like interesting and inventive
0: movies i've seen ever yeah, over, yeah i mean all yeah. i knew about this film going in was its soundtrack its soundtrack gets gets outed oh, Best in in film history, which interestingly I think is exactly what hurts the sequel and and A horrible hurts. soundtrack on the First second. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
5: like so, you're you're expecting those that like uh, small white text at the bottom of the left screen, like you'd see in old music videos, where it'd be like the quote and the song title. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, yeah. about? Yeah, 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 the record label. Uh, no, I when I saw this like especially like the visual style, like like the quick cuts and like the jumpiness of it. Um, it's just, I don't even know, like the loyal listeners, I guess we have our only loyal listener on the show right now. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. But Wait, yeah, who the fuck it, is going to listen to it now? But that? <laughs> if there are other loyal listeners <laughs> who, who, who know the lore of this podcast, you know that I love the 2000s. And that, even though it wasn't not technically the 2000s, 1996 is pretty close, and a lot of that energy is there, Mid-90s I think, in spotting.
0: <laughs> it's close enough. Um, it's well, round up. Samir <laughs> bans his definition of what the 2000s are in every episode. <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he has no actual parameters. It's right? actually now any, 1996. It's any movie is before is 2010. Period. It's a <laughs> feel It's a vibe. 2000s wow. is not. I can't wait until we go back to the like the 70s, and yeah, like, what I love about this film is how like it just kind of. I know it's not white the 2000s, but it's only like 30 years prior. Yeah, right? I, I'm like I'm like
3: picturing like a, a scenes like a bunch of people in like classic gowns like, uh, like dancing to Beethoven. Like God with the wind. And, yeah, like yeah, God with Samir, the wind. And Samir, and yeah, and this... Samir's like, oh dude, the early 2000s vibes in this movie are insane. I mean, they're,
5: if they're there, they're there. I mean, you know, the vibes are immaculate. Um. <laughs> john,
2: Yo, I don't know. john like, what do you think of that
1: <laughs> yeah this conversation just reminds me of like the parameters of being a 90s kid like i was born in 1996 i was three years old at the end of the 90s there's no way i'm a 90s kid is it yeah. just like understanding references from the 90s because yeah. the only thing no, on my I, television I, was like I, Nick at Night and shit <laughs>
0: yeah I, <laughs> actually, I always think about it because i mean i was born in 97 and I, I i for some reason i i pride myself on identifying as a 90s kid despite the fact that, like, I agree that I don't actually have those those same experiences as, as most 90s kids, but there is something about, like, under, like, seeing the Dunkaroo account on Twitter and knowing what that is, you know, <laughs> and being like, yeah. that makes me a 90s yeah. kid, you know? Yeah. Or, or, like, understanding that, like, uh that design that comes on the side of pizza cups, you know, mm-hmm. that, like, old sort of 90s aesthetic. Like the like, uh,
3: green, purple, and blue Yeah, bit. that green, yeah. purple, and blue.
0: Yeah, like, like, I mean, there, I, and I think that's kind of what's we, I mean, I, I think we've actually had this exact conversation before because I'm always interested in Samir's 2000-ness thing. But I think that's what you're getting at, Samir, is the sort it of nostalgia is. we feel mm-hmm. for the late 90s, early 2000s when you're our age. This was a, we I mean, this anything.
2: was a fantastic year for movies in general. But like, I think train Spotting's right up there as is, is some of the best that was released in this era. And can I just say, like this movie is an hour and a half long. That is mm-hmm. like we would never get a movie like this nowadays. It's either gonna be like I mean, it would as never evidenced be... by the fact that the sequel is double the it's double, two hours long. Yeah, it's it's two hours long and like there's so much packed into this. There's not a single wasted moment, which is like one of the tenets of late late nineties films. And well, it was just a joy to watch again. I, I really liked it for that
3: reason. The the other thing too is like the the super fast paced editing and camera movements just m- also make the movie feel like it moves at double the speed which is also very interesting and just fun to watch.
5: Yeah, those like kind of fast paced editing uh movements I I also found in Requiem for a Dream uh which kind of is like that same like that that shot of a pupil dilating and then cutting to like a guy like snorting or something like that. So um I'm sure that Darren Aronofsky was very much inspired by this movie, at least for the aesthetic of that one too. Um, and who wouldn't be? Like I'm really inspired by it. Especially that like like I don't even know. It's just so energetic and fun. Yeah, let's do yeah, heroin, was, guys. <laughs> yeah, let's do heroin. We're a heroin podcast now. Well, yeah, it's well, all heroin engaged. Yeah, so that's kinda of,
0: so it's that's, all that's heroin. so I sort of wanted that to be No, I but I think that's an interesting interesting angle. I kinda of wanted to, to bring that up. Um, because the director I thought about while watching this was uh martin mcdonough who directed um three billboard outside Ebbings missouri mm-hmm. in bruges and seven psychopaths um i thought about all three of those movies as like incredibly dark 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 comedies and yet i think train spotting is now probably the darkest dark comedy mm-hmm. i've ever seen yeah i mean like i i don't know how this movie gets away with with uh, i mean we already spoiled the dead baby earlier in this episode I mean, between the dead baby and I think the the toilet scene, which is very iconic, toilet scene, oh, um, and its, it's that entire outlook disgusting. on drug use. How do you guys like? Where do you guys land on this movie's sense of humor and with some of the subject matter it's dealing with, and how do you think it uses that humor? Because I, I, I don't, it, it does pull it off. I think it's safe to say we all found this movie pretty funny and weren't like offended by it at any point. But it, it's crazy some of the territory it it deals with.
3: Uh, real quick too, I'll I'll add another moment that is incredibly depressing, but. It's filmed uh as a comedic moment is when, again, spoiler, when Tommy dies, and they're in the back of the funeral talking about how he died, and he died because he inhaled he cat, cat poop, shit and, yeah. and that yeah. whole conversation is just so funny with the delivery of the lines. Yet, it's this character that's been built up as like the only sh- like straight edge out of the entire group, and he's the <laughs> one that ends up dying from an overdose and cat poop. Um, but the scene overall <laughs> came it's off. It's called as- toxoplasmosis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Toxoplasmosis. I was a biology major, guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, I thought that it's really its humor is really on the backs of the fantastic acting that is throughout. Like, I think Robert Car- Carlyle, is that his name? Carlisle. Uh, he plays Begbie. Like, yeah. he is such a
4: Douchebag. Like, it's such a <laughs> douchebag, and
2: like he he makes your skin crawl the entire time. But there is something so funny and like gun ho about him he, that like d-
3: he gives a very I mean, magnetic performance. I mean, yeah, I think yeah.
2: everyone gives a magnetic
0: yeah. performance in this. They're all, and I actually I actually thought he was Elon the best part of the sequel. Personally, I I felt that Begbie was the only part of the sequel that I found to be at least a little interesting. In ter- like, I felt like his story was at least expanded by the sequel, whereas I didn't feel that was necessarily the case for any other character
2: Corey really just has to shit on movies in our movie so, podcast like... you gotta always bring up how bad the sequel is <laughs> <laughs> the first one's so good cory
5: <laughs> well, yeah yeah because we're on the sequel real quick um something i i was kind of thinking as i was watching it is that like train spotting has such like a bite to it and it's like so like it was one of danny boyle's earlier movies and then he had this career where he did like more mainstream big budget movies like Steve Jobs and all these movies um he, wanted... then he comes back or and and then he comes back to T2 and i felt a lot of that like sort of mainstream energy in T2 namely with the color palette and like just like the i mean like the jumpy editing was still there but it also felt like a lot more like like friendly in a weird way where it's like uh it, it wasn't doesn't have that enough. yeah it it wasn't like it didn't have that sort of like screw-off type attitude that trains that the first one has and i think it's that like tone clash that kind of led to a lukewarm product for me um where that it, it's not as like i don't know like it's not as hostile
3: which is a shame because the first movie i what i love about the editing and like the camera movement is the camera movement and editing amplifies like the uh, effect of the heroin use um the scene that comes to mind is whenever Ewan McGregor, he shoots up and then falls backwards, and the the carpet goes into the floor, and then the rest mm-hmm. of the time it, Oh, the Lou Reed song? Yeah, and yeah. then the, 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 so the, the rest of the I time of shot. him getting tra- taken to the hospital is with uh, two carpets, basically, on, on the side of the screen. Uh, that was so inventive. Yeah. I,
2: lo- I love shots like that. Yeah. And I thought that was so that cool. That
3: just, for me, just overall adds to how like good the movie is is the, the camera movement and the editing it has a purpose
5: so, the shoes so monologue so uh, do we like the second so do we
2: like, like capitalism right. just want to like throw that out there <laughs> well, yeah so yeah so like, let's, let's get
0: political and l- let's kind of dive into maybe the sequel a little bit as, as we can we can probably even put a bow on the sequel a little bit because i think we agree we don't necessarily want to spend too much time with it but well i'm, ro- ro- I'm, ro- ro- I'm real inter- quick no, no. Like I think. It, well, doing... I was just gonna say if, go if we
5: are getting political. I think this is the time <laughs> that I would announce my uh, special guest, other special guest. So I actually brought on Slavoj Dzek on <laughs> oh, the podcast. Uh, oh, so. I hope so, you're gonna. So sorry, gonna so say, go Ben ahead, Shapiro. Everybody, Please welcome I Ben Shapiro.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey, hypothetically, hey, let's say we're all so heroin nice. addicts. Well, how, how, how does he? He has the Joker laugh, like the. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah i wonder what we, um, john how do you think ben shapiro would react to train spotting and thatcherism as a whole
1: well obviously i really like margaret thatcher she had some great ideas regarding the uh, privatization of certain parts of the british um social safety net as well as breaking down the unions i don't like unions at all they just complain and ask for more money all the time there are some hard-working british people on the countryside I, I just think that Margaret Thatcher had a better idea. And I think that these heroin addicts in this movie should uh, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and find something better to do. So oh, I think that's what Ben all Shapiro right, ben, is All right, Ben, all right. Let's kick right, him right, out you, Thank you, know. Ben. Right.
5: And, that,
0: and that was Ben Shapiro.
5: Um, Corey was saying something before. Well, no, I, I, just, I just
0: wanted to, to talk about the sequel as it relates to this kind of political angle we're, we're, we're trying to apply here. Because I think, well, first of all, I think the sequel's very existence says something kind of funny about capitalism but also the moments when i think the sequel sings the most like when it's at its best it's when it's just trying to retread everything that the first film does like it literally repeats its the, the choose montage in a way that is i find it was much more like we live in a society i thought this time around you know <laughs> um, and a lot of that felt like it's trying to i guess like protect the film from the fact that I mean, there's literally a, a, a part where, uh, 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 you know, what's his name? Uh, Sick Boy and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting our main character's name now. Ritten. Mark. Ritten. Mark, sorry. They, uh, they fucking use like the Snapchat filters and start. You know, oh, like, that was to,
3: like, horrific. Uh, that was, the, oh my God. I just thought that there just were a lot of. Uh, a 64
0: year old man who just
2: seen his kid using Snapchat over their shoulder and was like, I gotta put that in.
5: I gotta yeah, put that yeah, in. I, that, that's yeah. the thing. It falls into these pitfalls of the sequel, and I'm so excited to talk about this point because I've been shat on for this take for so long, and finally, I have someone on the podcast that agrees with me. Let's get into it. Borat two, <laughs> movies that try to be with the times, just don't do it for me, John. Please, please support me on this.
1: Yeah, so I was I think about this a lot actually. So mm-hmm. around 2016, there was this huge revival, especially in American television, with. Um, basically revivals of 90 shows. They made like a Fuller House. They brought back like, what is it? Um, Roseanne, as well as Murphy Brown. Like who the hell was watching Murphy Brown in 2016? Well, And there was that whole
0: string of like live reenactments of sitcoms. They did like a Jefferson's one-off where it was like a live, like in front of a, they 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 filmed it live. That was a really big thing, 2017,
1: 2018. I think uh, HBO yeah, Max and-
3: just redid Saved by the Bell. Also, I think that was yeah. HBO and we got
0: Jesus we got Stranger coming out on Paramount Plus. I, I hear what you're saying. yeah. They
1: they're also redoing Rugrats in like some yeah. disgusting three Horrible. animation. Oh yeah. PS two animation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: Simpsons Hit and Run in yeah. Rugrats. <laughs> yeah.
1: So bad. Yeah, like, but, about, yeah. but about
2: these remakes. Yeah,
1: and it sort of like bleeds into this like. Um, idea of this one theorist that I used to read a lot as like a senior in college, his name was Mark Fisher, and he was actually like a Scottish um, I would say like postmodern like Marxist writer, yeah, and his I've main idea this <laughs> what? yeah, his main idea was or one of his main ideas was a thing called Hauntology, and it's like almost like this ghostly presence of a past, it's like a stench that you can't get rid of, and it sort of like paints um, the horizon of possibilities for how you look at the world, and it's like almost with neoliberal capitalism, it's obsessed with short-term motives. And it's also we know that like pre-existing traditions um that have worked in the past are modes that we could go back to. So like especially in the cultural space, like TV and music, like it's just like infinite pastiche. And we can't really like grow past it. And I notice like in this movie, these people can't grow past their lives in the nineties. Like they're still stuck in the same like cultural moment. Like I think one of the more interesting like minor notes is they all have the same hairstyles after 20 years like imagine yeah. if mm-hmm. sam still has that mullet after his- <laughs> okay john i don't need to hear
2: i don't need to hear about <laughs> cultural pastiches and then you refer to my mullet
0: <laughs> like train spotting feels like a film where he his ideas had already kind of come uh full circle like he'd really uh kind of Not about it like, well, like yeah he'd, he'd really uh, uh thought about it and kind of completed some of these ideas and so Let's let's really kind of get into some of the nitty gritty here, and uh, and talk should, some more about. Should we
2: talk about the first scene from the from the get go? This movie, yeah. jumps
0: mm-hmm. jumps in your
2: face like a very iconic chase scene uh, with Mark Ritten and uh, Sick Boy running away after committing uh, minor like uh, I think they're like just shoplifting or something to get money for Skag. Me using the British slang for heroin, the Scottish
0: slang for heroin. But and I was hoping we'd do this whole episode in uh, Edinburgh. uh, Yeah, (laughs) where we just
2: sound like Peaky Blinders characters. um, (laughs) Even though that's don't get obviously. I was.
0: I was this close to going to the University of Glasgow uh, for grad school mm. next year, and honestly, I'm so grateful that I, I'm not, just because I don't think I would have fucking understood it's a sh- word that anybody would it's say. Sh- <laughs> it's shite being Scottish, man. with the
2: lowest to the low, the scum of the fucking earth. <laughs> the scum of the fucking earth. <laughs>
1: we were colonized really hard, by the right? wankers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that
2: like, was my favorite line, I think. Yeah, like, this movie opens up in such a, uh, in-your-face- and and it, it gives you, like, the, the, the famous monologue of the choose life. Choose life, choose a job. Here's the direct quote, because I brought it up. It's one of my favorite quotes in any movie. It goes, choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, yada, yada, yada. And it gets more and more... Um, there's, I think, I always remember the quote that says, uh, choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. And I always remember... Uh, The electrical tin opener being like a specifically interesting thing that he includes in this, which, as we uh, will talk about, is a pretty, um, you know, (laughs) dig at um, late stage capitalism, how we just buy shit and we just kind of live as members of a society, which he also says there is no society (laughs) later in the movie.
1: Yeah, Um, that's actually a famous Margaret Thatcher quote. Is there Um, actually real? Right, there is no society. Yeah, Yeah. she was like, there's no such thing as society. There's only uh, individuals and their families. Um, And that's sort of like the impetus behind the politics of this movie. Um, I think this like, I know like we would want to read this as like a lefty film, but it's almost like an embrace of neoliberal like, ideas. Like in the sense that it's an embrace of Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneurial person, um, not necessarily looking to each other for support and solidarity, but trying to one-up each other or, like, I don't know, screw each other over to yeah, reach yeah. your goals, especially at the end. Um, and I think, like, one interesting quote that is, like, famous for um, Margaret Thatcher is that Christianity is about spiritual redemption, not social reform, and she goes on to say that, like, St. Paul once said that if a man will not work, he shall not eat, and she makes this, like, big... um idea behind, like, the choices that you make are the choices that would, uh, bring you to greater salvation. So her project was basically marrying this marriage of, um, Christian morality with, uh, neoliberal free choice economics. And this, um, movie Sounds is awesome. just, like, a perversion of that. As in, like, but what's... he's basically... Like, I was oh, just gonna... yeah.
5: No, <laughs>
1: yeah, go ahead, uh, John. Oh, yeah, the characters in this, um, film, they're basically making all the choices, but their choices are... Heroin, which is in itself like its own god, because once you're a drug addict, I don't know if you guys have been around many people with opiate use disorders or anything like that. It's almost like the only thing that's on your mind. Like, I was on a general medicine floor um, with patients who often were on really high dosages of of, um, various opiates, and their entire day is based around like when they get their pain um, medications. So it's an organizing force for your life. And if all the choices that you're making are leading to you just hitting getting your next score of skag it's just like Mm. that's i don't know that that's like the defeat of this super neoliberalism that the movie's buying into i think that's a that's
2: a good segue to the final part of the original monologue in the movie where it goes but why would i want to do a thing like that i choose i chose not to choose life i chose something else and the reasons there are no reasons who needs reasons when you've got heroin and it does like Ooh, a, that a was ver- a good segue <laughs> yeah it does it does like a really cool um cuz you kind of like it's such a like a, a it's a frankly like a rant it's like even hard to even call a monologue it sounds so like scatterbrained at the beginning and then it comes full circle and you realize that the narrator is high on heroin at the time of him saying that so um a really interesting way to start the movie and set up uh, the settings that that these characters live in
5: yeah, yeah i i swear i remembered in that in that same thing you mentioned electric tin can opener doesn't he say choose podcast choose film bros yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: it was really <laughs> weird, and he, and he named us all by our full names yeah. So yeah. was like Sam, choose, choose Sam. Yeah. i appreciate <laughs> it don't choose but don't choose Corey. He says yeah. that, and it was like, really,
5: I was like, Frank, I'd start crying tears of joy. Choose Whiplash, for the final four bracket of It's All Filming Games on the choose Twitter. Choose Yeah, he actually
1: said, I chose not to choose Corey. I chose something else. <laughs> yeah, and his name, some. was, his name was Sam Mercallio. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: then he would not fit in well on this podcast. Um, we, don't, we do not ever choose Sam here. Uh, at yeah. yeah. That's, frankly, the truth. Wait.
1: Okay, okay, comment. Do you think Sick Boy would be like the or version of a film bro because the entire movie he's just talking about like james bond movies and obscure references he's so fucking
2: insufferable (laughs) with his
1: james bond references he's got the bleached hair he's
3: having a moment yeah Yeah.
0: you know
5: what you know what i thought i had
0: i was like why is it that of this group why is it only you and mcgregor that went on to become like a huge star i feel like johnny lee miller is way more handsome like sick boy Mm -hmm. is by far the most handsome of the characters. yeah i would tell i I actually think he's a pretty good character too but johnny Miller never really uh he never really broke out the way Ewan McGregor did. Yeah, the industry, Gre- man. <laughs> Dude, Ewan you- McGregor Which again, I don't... <laughs> the industry. Ewan McGregor in that tight
3: yellow shirt. He could get it.
0: I really apologize for ending every comment I say was saying, and that's why the sequel sucks, but... I also... <laughs> even then, I felt it's like so Ewan, Ewan McGregor's celebrity was also part of... I felt like what hurt the sequel in a weird way, because... Like... Like he just looks more like a movie star. I felt like by the time that the 2017 film rolls around, like like he doesn't look like a, he, he doesn't, doesn't look ripped. like a guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, yeah he's I'm like, why is, like, Obi- like, I'm like why is Obi? like,
5: why is Obi Wan Kenobi talking to me about Sky? Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> 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 I <love that.
1: laughs> yeah, I definitely think that Ewan McGregor's original performance was like so good because he like embodied that character. Like the acting performance yeah. was so well, as well as just like. I don't know if it was makeup or he, like, starved himself, but he he genuinely looked like a heroin addict. Oh, yeah. and and this one, I know he's, like, recovered, but I think it might have just been, like, the screenwriting in the second one because a lot of the um, first movie was done via, like, voiceover narration. Right. And there actually wasn't much dialogue in the movie, and when it was, it was just banter. So it created, like, this, like, naturalistic acting. So, like, all the acting in the first one was amazing, then in the second one, it was just, like, ugh, it didn't really Mm -hmm. feel right. Yeah, it 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 was, like...
2: I thought they were gonna do a narration part for the second part, and it just never came. And I like, I know that's very much like a uh, a thing within '90s films is like a heavily narrated film, and it's kind of fallen out of fashion uh, as of late. But I think it works really, really well in Train Spotting One, and I and I wish it had but been done in Train Spotting Two.
5: Yeah, like, in, in the 90s, or even in the 2000s, all the trailers two thousand. Like, in a world. <laughs> 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 like, it, it's always, like, uh, coming to theaters near you.
0: Um, yeah, I usually yeah, hate no, yeah, I, I completely so agree. Do, so do I, agree? Uh, I, usually, I usually find it to be kind of, like, a lazy cop-out, but I think I, this is one of the best examples I've seen of a, of a film that um, I think, like, John sort of alluded to, it, it uses its voiceover more, uh, not to fill in narrative gaps or anything, but... Um, just to kind of create this sort of like disorienting quality um uh, that can like easily whisk you from one scene to the other and kind of like misplace you completely. Uh which I thought had a really cool effect.
1: Yeah, but you I- guys might m- more know more about like technical things with film, but I noticed that in the first one, whenever they do a freeze frame, it just like slows down and freezes. Then in the sequel it looked like almost like a glitch happened. There, I literally and, thought
2: my my I had to like pause. I thought my
1: Wi-Fi was fucking up. On the yeah, second it looked one. really choppy in the second. It, one It, it wasn't. done Do well. you think that was like intentional or was it yeah, just like it was, that's how it, technology works now? No, yeah, it, was, I, it was weird. i
2: would never seen that was done in any film convention. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I'm not aware of anything in film that would that would make that more difficult. You know, as time has gone on, there's no reason for <laughs> yeah. it. we can't freeze the frame <laughs>
2: anymore. <laughs> Like Trial of Chicago Seven has a seven minute long free- fr- freeze frame at the end of the movie. Like yeah, if anything yeah. you this can is freeze true. it for longer now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> They've extended the freeze times. It's crazy. Yeah. Everyone jumps Look, up air at the move- end and freezes. Yeah,
2: all Netflix movies are. It's just one single freeze frame. It's
0: actually freeze just frame, a picture.
5: Pretty much.
2: Yeah.
0: It's... <laughs> right, so I, I do. Want, I want to bring us back to because I think John did a did a good job of sort of um explaining the the film's politics uh early on and kind of comparing it to some what was happening in in the uk at the time but i guess where i where i sort of struggle with the film is and this is like the endless question that you you know we i think this film especially invites but a lot of uh films like like this sort of bring up is like where do you think the film actually lands on these ideas though so like i've seen people talk about this film as a huge indictment of uh heroin of heroin use and uh of you know like a sad f- tragic film about uh about heroin uh addiction in in scotland but other people have have talked about how this film just kind of should sort have of glorifies it and um has ma- made heroin use like a little bit too cool uh and i, and I think um, it's safe to say that the, the way transpotting has kind of become like a college dorm room poster kind of movie. Uh, the latter ha- definitely has some truth to it, but that's not to say that um that Danny Boyle isn't looking to sort of indict this perspective a little bit. Like, like where did like how did you guys feel about about the movie and where and where it sort of settles on uh this lifestyle?
5: I think that's the case for like a lot of like you know any like if you take wolf of wall street for example yeah i know we all,
0: I know we come back to this a lot yeah
5: that's Stop that's that. a cautionary tale like that guy ends up in jail and it it's not the whole point of that movie is don't be like him but you're gonna see the same wolf of wall street posters you're gonna same people you're gonna see people with that as their twitter profile pictures people who want to be just like him so i think what happens ultimately is that when you tell this, like, a tale about something that's, like, cautionary or, like, hey, like, don't do this, um, you end up delving into glorifying it to some extent just for cinematic convention. Like, that's why we remember it. Um, even something like, like, I know Corey hates this, but the Joker, right? Like, like no one, yeah. that, that that's not a good, like, no one wants to be the Joker. But by kind of hyping up that and, like, making it this certain thing, we we're still talking about it and so many people have the joker poster and all of this so i think with train spotting um to make for an in like an inventive stylized film it does dip into that glorifying territory like a lot of people um like it's the same reason we root for anti-heroes like like kind of like Tony Soprano. There's my reference. This. Uh, this oh episode. my fucking god! Actually, <laughs> I, 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 I was gonna butter. bring it up whenever, whenever we were talking about addicts. I was gonna bring up Michael Imperioli and uh, how he, Christopher Moltisanti, on the show. Anyways, anyways, you're annoying. Um, you're annoying. My point, my point is that I, I feel like it's kind of similar to those kind of movies, like Wolf Wall Street, where it's like it's glorified, but like that's to kind of make it the sort of cultural film. But it is uh, yeah i don't
2: know i thought it was a pretty syrian indictment actually i don't i don't find that a yeah. glorified heroin usage like i think it shows a very like that's why we i love the first one is it's so gritty and obviously like you see people's lives completely ruined like tommy their friend who never who's the like clean cut footballer with them like he doesn't do heroin and it's only when he gets on it does he his
5: life
2: turn yeah. to shit man, I, I i agree with I, you sam but I, 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 i'm i, what I I'm mean saying I, is that yeah I the think movie it's doesn't to... have
5: to do the glorifying like we can do the glorifying if that makes sense like the movie as you said i do think is a serious indictment of heroin but when an audience interprets that they will do the glorifying um yeah man, i think it's safe to to,
0: it's safe to say that narratively um the film is a pretty you know it doesn't you know you know uh i can't encourage speak. No, the the film doesn't encourage uh heroin use narratively. Yeah. It has a lot of flashy editing me, yeah. and it has, you know, a lot of fun, <laughs> fun pop and rock songs that I think can start to uh change the way we think about things a, a little bit. But even narratively, I mean like like I wonder, you know, cuz at the very end of this movie, technically speaking, uh Mark having, you know, well, his his first attempt to to quote unquote choose life and get clean fails and and pulls him right back in uh to the drug scene in edinburgh uh but then like how do you characterize the end of this film him him taking the money leaving a little bit uh for his friend and leaving like you know is that is he is that choosing life in that moment is that uh as as uh john put it is that still like kind of praying to to heroin as your god like what what is what do you you guys think is happening in that final moment and and how do you again where do you land on that
1: Oh, I got a hot take. So, pri- prior to this podcast, I-, I looked up academic articles on psychology and neoliberalism. And one of the more interesting John. things... Of course yeah. Goddamn <laughs> John.
2: John literally said that he was coming like unprepared for this podcast. No, I, I just didn't know like, how to organize my thoughts. And he's come more prepared than any of us combined on any episode we've <laughs> ever done. On anything we've yeah, ever done.
1: Yeah, so like, if neoliberalism is like this regime in which um, you have to fashion yourself as an entrepreneur and you're an individual in like a world of competing individuals. Like in order to psychologically um, make it through in this world, you, according to this article, you have to have like a radical abstraction from yourself or from your context as yourself, meaning you have to like uh, be the type of person who's supposed to overcome any sort of obstacle and circumstance. but you have to be an entrepreneur understanding yourself as an ongoing development project. Um, you have to look at your personal growth as like a form of fulfillment. And you have to emphasize like affect management and self-regulation. So like in those final scenes, he's sort of screwing over his friends by stealing those sixteen thousand pounds in order to be industrious. Um he like literally like referred to his friends as like, oh, we outgrown each other, that sort of thing. Um in the movie. So it's like sort of like overcoming your circumstances by basically rejecting them entirely. So he's like embracing yeah. this um, neoliberal new labor future that is arising at the time.
3: Um, I, so I. Wow. That, yeah, well. Goddamn, well, well, John. Well said, John. RJ is
5: listening to this right now. He just logged um, on. Uh, <laughs> RJ was no. up until that moment. He's like, yeah, I can't do
3: this. <laughs> um, Good episode, guys. I'm going to head out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so going off of that, I'm reading the final uh, quote narration from the movie. Uh, cutting off some of the Chew shit. Uh, good at golf, washing the car, cho- choice of sweaters, family Christmas, index pension, tax exemption, clearing gutters, getting by, looking ahead, the day you die. One, I really like that he they decided to rhyme the final <laughs> narration. Um,
2: Dude, this movie's so good. Yeah,
3: but al- also I- in this final line, he before this he says, "I'm gonna be just like you," and he talks about his job. And then the last line is, "The day you die." For me, looking ahead, the day day you die. For me, that's just like uh what John said. He has become a part of this culture where it's uh you have to to one up everyone, and you're just gonna have to keep doing it. And looking ahead at these like commercial. Uh, Materialistic, uh, outlook on life the whole way until you die, and then that's basically it. Whereas, like in the movie, these this is such an isolated event where it starts off as they're all best mates, and then by the end, um, it, is it Mark? Mark ends up saying best mates. Yeah, and Mark's like, "Fuck you guys me. are my best Fuck mates." Fuck my mates. Um, well, I'm gonna go because... join the machine. I'm gonna be the gear in the machine until I die. I mean.
2: Are, are we are we in that mark Renton is the bad guy of the movie then because that's kind of the sense that i'm getting that he is you know selling out his friends for his own personal gain he's you know prescribed to those neoliberal beliefs and that he's gonna become you know the next well, no, turning mean, point Neoliberalism wants you to columnist. think that
0: there's that, that's just one bad guy but i mean like mark's decision is justified insofar as uh his you know his friends fucked fucked him over by pulling him out of this new life he chose for himself and back into this scene. Uh it's almost like the movie is suggesting uh a new I mean, it's almost like the, the movie is like the 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 modern Democratic Party, right? Like it's it's almost suggesting as opposed to looking to um untangle and replace these new systems, like replace this new global order, um, we can just participate in it. And and kind of rebel against it within within neoliberalism, as opposed to, uh, you know, outside of it. So you know, you, you get what I'm saying? Sam's face just looks like. <laughs> really, it, it, what the movie is sort of suggesting is like a a a a new version of rebellion, like a new form of maybe even leftism below it, but it's not very left. It's almost. It's kind of like the sort of liberal stance we see today, which is like cha- change within the system, not outside the system. So, like, like it, it, the whole story sort of suggests, like, uh, you know, our form of rebellion, our our, our drug use, or whatever, or whatever it might be, our drug trade, um, is is still gonna like operate within the framework of this new, this new uh, Scotland global order. Uh, And we're and we're not going to kind of we're not going to stand outside of it, if that makes sense.
2: If you guys want to know what the thumbnail for this episode is, it's going to be that meme of the three kids sitting around the tables and the the YouTube video. (laughs) And it's going to say, is train spotting a promotion of the New World
0: Order? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's let's go to the because it is one of the most iconic and I don't think we've done it justice yet. Let's talk about the the grossest scene in this movie, but probably the most memorable, which is the, the iconic <laughs> toilet scene. Dude, so good. I
3: I remember watching this in high school and wondering, like, what the apparatus looked like to film that mm-hmm. scene. Because I'm I don't know if it's he's on the other side of the <laughs> toilet. I don't know if he's actually going into the toilet and disappearing. But it just works so visually, and it's like one of those moments where I'm just. You, I was just like how did they film that I want to I want to beh- watch the behind the scenes on Yeah that yeah. bathroom
2: scene I remember being ingrained in my mind for the like it is one of the most iconic scenes in the movie It brings up um one of my favorite parts about this which is like kind of the surrealist realism that this movie goes for throughout where you can't really understand what is legitimate and what is what is actually happening but it's this mixture of like very ethereal and whimsical with like insanely gritty and dark and very dramatic elements but i think that's one of the best representations of it throughout the film we've already talked about like the carpet scene and uh how interesting and dynamic that is but the toilet scene really uh the first time i watched it, it blew my mind about what could be shown on film i like you know you it, like you could literally just write a screenplay, and a dude just crawls into the a nasty fucking toilet to go put heroin up his ass, and it's like, but he did it in such a beautiful way that it was like yeah blown away.
3: Uh, another thing we could even like touch on is just like the point of view of of the story because but the realest thing uh something that stuck out in my mind while I was watching it is he gets out of the toilet and he's soaked, and then the next scene he's in his house and he's still <laughs> soaked. So, it, th- yeah, it does, like, this weird cross between what, at that point, you thought was reality, what isn't reality. It, it does some very interesting things in terms of just, like, in, a, a point of view that I find very interesting.
1: Okay, so think about, like, cinematic history. The first time a toilet was on film was in Psycho, correct? Like, Alfred Hitchcock, it was considered taboo until that point. Then, like, <laughs> 40, 50 years later... Um, people are literally diving into toilets. Then ten years later, two girls and one cup comes out and traumatizes <laughs> <the> entire generation. <laughs> wow, <laughs> we are we
2: have progressed as an art form and as a,
0: a human race. So oh my god! You
2: think about it. Yep, I'm
0: thinking, You know, you know that you know that meme of like the tiniest little domino, with yeah. like the giant domino. That's like <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock putting a toilet on Phil. Two girls, one cup. <laughs> 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 Oh, uh, so <laughs> and one of the dominoes in between is train spotting that's so yeah. funny just
5: uh, before anyone proposes we're <laughs> not doing the two girls one cup episode oh man <laughs>
2: where's your sense of adventure Samir? i know
5: all right, you, you, I'm sold. Let's do it. Oh, with 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 the right oh, guest, that like could be about, a great. Episode. <laughs> the the stunt man, the stunt man. We'll do it with him. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> could you imagine, imagine he would pitching be, that. He would be
2: so shocked. He'd be like, "What?" We're <laughs> like this postmodernist take on.
4: Yeah. Oh my yeah. god.
2: Uh, oh my god. Speaking of really, um hard to watch scenes. What did we make of the cold turkey scene in his mm. in his uh childhood bedroom? To me, that is my favorite scene in the film. I think that scene is um there's a lot of genre blending in this film and we talked about how this might be the darkest dark comedy ever. This is like a straight up horror movie scene. It is horrific, it is uncomfortable, it is deeply disturbing and unnerving um i love it did you guys also also love that scene or were you guys just kind of off put by it all
3: Uh, i think it's fantastic uh and the main reason for that is the terrifying fake baby that crawls on the ceiling and its head spins around does a full exorcist um but i think what isn't that is some shit that's so dang shit oh i know i i I love that scene because it just the crazy visuals that are going on and the way that Danny Boyle uses the baby getting closer and closer to Mark while he's also still seeing some other visuals just like adds this layer of tension to the whole scene that I think is just so awesome yeah it it very much plays like a horror movie. yeah like
1: going back to like Sam's point about the surrealism surrealism of the film i think just like that scene like i didn't know like what characters were actually in the place and he's like hallucinating things i really like the part when begbie was like oh you gotta clean yourself from that shit, boy <laughs> i don't know i thought it was just like <laughs> i don't know i thought it was really well done and like really impactful because i don't know hallucinations probably aren't a good vibe especially when you're withdrawing i don't know what it's like but i, I can't imagine it being pleasant at all
0: <laughs> again and that was another moment where i was like can i even fucking laugh at this i mean that is like he's it's he's obviously just traumatized by something that's already incredibly tragic, the death of a of a of a young baby. Um and yet it's it's kinda of, like I agree that it has like a horror element too, it, but it's kinda of played for laughs too, just because of the over the top uh editing and I think even you McGregor's performance in that moment is like just so like yeah, it's it's dialed up to eleven, you know? And so like I don't know, like it's like again, I th- I think this movie is successful in, in walking this very fine line. But it's one of those examples where I'm, where I'm not even sure how he, how he quite pulls it off because it is just so. I mean, it's off Like like just just as a uh, as uh, John alluded to, like you know the the taboo nature of a toilet not too long ago. Like 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 the death of a baby, even in, by today's standards, actually, especially by today's standards, would probably be like like so ill advised in a film. Like you you'll you'll probably never see something like that again because that just seems so so wrong just to show a dead baby like that.
1: It's like. I think it tried to say a lot of because I think the politics in the first movie just existed in the background and it like sort of comes to light when you just like look at it more. For instance, like early in the movie, um, I think what's his name? Spud went to that like job interview thing sponsored by the government and it was for that's, yeah, funny then like, such a funny like scene. blowing coke beforehand. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah and, and then speed. he like shows up and it's for a tourism job. So like these deindustrialized areas are trying to be uh, turned into like tourist attractions um, based off government investment and shit right. like that and even brenton going into um real estate basically speculative real estate those are like really expensive apartments in london for yuppies um those are like things that are going on in the background that are just like interesting to look at in the second film like all the political stuff was just really in your face like for instance when they go to that scottish national pub thing i thought that
2: that was a horrible yeah. scene. That scene yeah. sucked ass. I was I literally was rolling my so, eyes so hard at
1: that. I was like, I think that scene sort of this? like ties into my gripe with how the ending was. It's sort of like if the politics of like the first movie is like this embrace of neoliberalism by the main characters, the end of uh, like T Two train spotting was this like embrace yeah, go. of past traditionalism by the main characters. Like the Scottish nationalism is like a traditionalism yeah. in and of itself. Um like Renton moving back to his family home with his dad into the room and listening to the iconic like Iggy pop song, I think. And um then yeah. like Sick Boy yeah. going to the pub that his mom owned. I think like the only moment of transformation in the second film is when Begbie's uh confronts his son about going to hotel management school, which also is like on your face like political, like, oh yeah, yeah. they're turning Scotland into a tourism hotspot instead of like the former industrial town. Um And Begbie's basically, like, begging his son to, like, punch him or fight him, and his son refuses, because it's, like, almost like Begbie, like, the only language that he speaks is violence, and his son is refusing to communicate with him in that violence, and it's almost like, that's the, this, like, film tries to, like, touch upon, like, intergenerational trauma, because later in the uh, movie, it's revealed that Begbie's dad's an alcoholic, shocker, considering, like, everybody else in the movie's a drug addict, but... it's like (laughs) yeah first of all i don't think that like revelation really needed to happen and like begbie saying goodbye to his family for the last time didn't need to happen but it's just like the son refusing to engage in that type of machismo or masculinity is like the only like it's it's sort of like the only progressive thing it's the only thing like looking forward it's like the only because all the other characters are trying to like latch on to traditionalism even veronica going back to um what is it bulgaria at the end of the movie it's almost like taking in like the ideology of like the pro brexiteers as in like oh people should go back to where they came from and i think that's sort of like cynical
0: yeah i thought that was really yeah i actually found that to be really cynical and strange i i felt the same way that that's the issue i was going to bring up was veronica going back to bulgaria because there's the moment earlier in the film when uh you know mark arrives at the airport and he's has that like cheeky moment with the 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 scotland uh, she's like the edinburgh i guess she's working yeah. for the, the tourist part she's of like the handing classroom. out the flyers yeah. handing out flyers yeah and, um you know he says where are you from and, and she says she's from sylvania and you know he kind of like rolls his eyes and keeps walking or he kind of gives at least gives like a smirk of some kind which i felt that that moment when paired with the, like like I, I i could look past that right because it's like oh our, we have a protagonist from bulgaria and and um it seems like they're trying to engage with this in some way but to even promote her returning home uh as like the path forward felt to me really regressive and really strange and almost like outright offensive like this just this just kind of like this just like rejection of of change at all you know i just found her
2: character in general to be very half baked i like i just didn't think they really She's sort
0: of just an excuse to kind of bridge a bunch of the characters like yeah bridge. yeah like you know what I mean? it
2: felt like she was a plot device more than anything like I didn't feel a very strong, like, f- uh, feeling or relationship to her character. Yeah, like, really. like
0: that classic female character who just, like, like the way she encourages Spud to. Yeah, that was fucking stupid. It yeah. was yeah. so, like, <laughs> uh, so stupid. You know, cause, like, <laughs> so like every, stupid. every, like, that's like, it was like the ultimate, like, stereotype of, like, how men write women, you know? Of just, like, like, a, yeah, a, like a girl. A
5: manic who's, pixie dream girl. Type yeah, thing.
0: basically. But, like, it's almost n- not even that interesting. It's just, like, someone who's just straight up just, just, like, yeah like so you know this this very specific trait that you have unbeknownst to viewers <laughs> can i bring that out of you now it's just like, Yeah, that's just <laughs> I, I wish add, that would happen to me yeah if, yeah if only
4: if only
3: you have mm-hmm. uh we have any traits that we can pull out of sam right now
4: hmm Ooh, what traits yeah, would
0: I'd rather, you want to pull uh, out of me? I'd rather keep those traits locked far, far away. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> God, okay. I'm so yeah, stunt, I'm so stunted th- by my friends. I think. I think part of the issue, John, too, is that with, with the sequel, you have like this, this is uh, I think something that a lot of sequels face. When you, when you make sequels, you have to justify their existence, you know. And I, I personally don't think that T two even does justify its existence. But in an effort to do so. I think it really tries to hit you over the head with some of its politics as if to be like, this is why we have to talk about this story 21 yeah. years later. That know? was I mean, even in like, the promotional like, material. Like you have to prove why you're even bringing these guys back after all this time. Why are we revisiting them? Uh, and I don't think this movie does it, but it certainly tries to.
2: And it comes back to the main point, which is the ending of Transpotting 1 is spectacular yeah. in my opinion. I mm-hmm. think it's such a good mm-hmm. ending, especially... We have we 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 glossed on the 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 score a little bit, but I I got the actual song name because I was like, that that yeah it's born slippy born by underworld, <laughs> and that song is so unbelievably beautiful and works so well with the first movie and kind of like, I I think it brings up my biggest gripe with the second movie is that I find the first one to be very, um, I guess like it's very um i'm trying to think of us now that we have He's saying all this smart smart world shit <laughs> um i'm trying to come up with a smart word for it but it's very like i don't know introspective the first one like they're very kind smart of smart word Very smart. yeah yeah that was super super smart um <laughs> I've, i can pat myself on the back while i'm editing this for that word <laughs> um the first one, like, they're, they're kind of, like, they're obviously in, a, like, a heroine days, but they're also kind of trying to think about, like, what their point in society is and, and all of this, and there's kind of, like, this grand, this feeling of, like, something greater than themselves, and then the second one, they just completely abandon it. Like, I just, like, I just didn't find that the second one had anything really all that interesting to say about where these characters were headed, where they stood in society, except for bigsby i think he is the most interesting part of the second one um but even the
0: end of the second just becomes like a straight up like thriller cat and mouse yeah the the whole resolution is like i like i at one point i actually thought it was interesting i don't know if you guys ever seen the movie the third man which really good movie from the the late 40s um like it's one of my all-time favorites um but i I, this for some reason um it's a british film which might be why danny boyle feels a (laughs) certain way about it but uh, I could. He was really. That's essentially the ending was like a like a tribute to the third man, just because it is about like a, like this sort of cat and mouse. It's kind of the original, like cat and mouse type story. Um, and yeah, like like the some of that the, that dark sort of like film noir esque cinematography that happens at the end, uh, when Begbie facing uh Mark and and Sick Boy was like like a straight up like rehash of of the of the way it's fr- things are framed and shot in the third man. Uh, which is kind of cool. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, but also just pointless. Like, it doesn't matter. It's, just, it's almost like you're just kind of doing it, and now you're you're creating an entirely different film.
2: Like, half of Trainspotting 2 is being like, remember this great scene from Trainspotting 1? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I-, I watched it yesterday. It's a fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah. I like, gave it five stars. I think yeah. this movie's a masterpiece. But it's like, the the best parts of Trainspotting 2 are just when they po- play Born Slippy and show
0: scenes from Trainspotting 1. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, which... Which, yeah. which again, I agree. The best one of the best parts is when they play the songs that they play in the first one, because I feel like some, like even the second one's soundtrack is so lame. Like, there's like, always music playing. There's not a single moment that music isn't playing. It was and, like and what, what I kind of liked about the first film is that um, it it leaned a lot more into what was sort of big in, in Britain at the time, which was like this new Britpop wave. You know, you would band, like I think about 1996. You had bands like Oasis becoming really big at the time. And so they sort of leaned on kind like, of some old, old, either older, like 70s type Britpop pop or like newer, kind of more indie stuff because there was a big pro- proliferation of that kind of music. And then in the sequel in 2017, we're just playing like Dreaming by Blondie, which is like an immensely mm-hmm. famous song where you're playing like Run DMC. Like it, it's just... Yeah, so I it, played,
2: yeah, I played a bunch of rap and I was like, yes. this is not like a type of aesthetic that, yeah, this is not the vibe the that they've ever shown they care about or represents what their lifestyle is i don't know i don't want to like typecast too hard but well (laughs) i was it was it was out of left field all right so
3: uh team i have to be honest uh i mean you guys already know i did not watch train spotting 2 because uh, (laughs) i I am still a college student and i have an exam tomorrow morning and i was studying for that um but uh something about train spotting 2 that i or one that i think we could talk about more is one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they're kind of, they're, they're, they're walking across that little wooden bridge and all the, the mountains are around them. And Mark, Mark gives the monologue, uh, (laughs) Tommy. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in that, uh, in those lines of dialogue, that line of dialogue. Do you want me
2: to read the, do you want me to read the quote?
3: If, Go- i was gonna say go ahead sam i got <laughs> right a scottish here, accent but let's, let's hear that scottish accent sam
2: <clears throat> it's short beaten scottish we're the lowest of the low the scum <laughs> of the fucking earth the most wretched miserable servile pathetic trash that was ever shot into civilization uh some people hate the english <laughs> i don't they're just wankers we on the other hand, are colonized by wankers we can't even find a de- <laughs> decent culture to be colonized by. We are ruled by effete arseholes, arseholes. It's a shite state of affairs to be in, Tommy. And all the fresh air in the world won't make any fucking difference.
3: Wow. Guys, can you wow. can you awesome believe name. that yeah. we got Ewan McGregor on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Do- the man himself. We got Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi on the podcast. Mike Myers just Thanks, joined guys. as a new listener. <laughs>
5: is, is he Scottish? He's Scottish, right? Mike Myers. I, I, Mike Myers, I, is maybe. I'll, 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 <laughs> I think I'll, so. I'll do some fact checking. No, you might be, I don't. I don't think.
3: I think you're just thinking. I feel like Joe Rogan. You're just thinking Scotty, fact-checking. Canadian.
2: He's Canadian.
0: He's Canadian. That's what I was getting. I think you're just thinking of the Shrek got... voice. The Shrek is like an attempt at a Scottish voice.
5: I think so.
1: I think someone, a Scottish person, needs to write a movie called The Problem with Shrek and point out that they basically had plaid facing, (laughs) or they they had someone use a fake Scottish accent. He's Canadian. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Or, it was in plaid face, yeah. That's a fantastic term. That's so funny. Oh, he also played the fat bastard in uh, Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah. he's doing it twice. He played
5: the fat bastard. That's, that's, a, a, that's, a, that's the entire scottish
0: sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I that was probably my favorite scene in the movie, the the one you guys are referring to. And what I, what I like about it, I mean, obviously the the monologue is great, but I like how that is is theoretically or should theoretically be the most beautiful scene in the movie. I mean, we're out in this beautiful, uh, you know, like countryside, with the mountains in the background, and it's it's a pretty interesting choice as a filmmaker to just, to commit to making your film as ugly as shit like just trying to make it as yeah. like this is truly the, like we already talked about the most disgusting scene in the movie when he crawls into a toilet I mean that scene is is gross because it's it's there's a whole lot of shit in it but somehow even when we go out to this beautiful open countryside like it's still just dingy and gray and gross and honestly it looks a whole lot like the Pittsburgh sky looks ha- half the year like mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's very similar weather patterns i think you get in Pittsburgh and uh and similar uh, people to in the, in the United Kingdom but like yeah. And, and and again, I, I don't. I hate to to bring us back to to the second one, but we, we I think we mentioned the top of the episode that the second one does have that glossy quality. That kind it's kinda, very sunny too. Yeah, and it's and it's, it's just it's just a prettier movie, which doesn't really. But, but even prettier is a strong word because it doesn't look it, good. Like, well, it's don't filmed
2: don't like on it. digital. Like, it's yeah, always it's, sunny it's, in Scott. It's filmed yeah, on I don't digital, like, so I don't it's like, like the <laughs> color grading <laughs> on <laughs> it at all, and I don't, I yeah. just don't like.
0: I don't really like anything <laughs> about the company. And you Dane would enjoy that, but it it does go for a glossier aesthetic, whereas. I think it's actually really crucial how when we're in that countryside moment, um, we're like denied the beauty of Scotland because the the whole movie in the is is kind of filtered through the. Uh, I mean, a that is kind of what Scotland looks like. It is just kind of a gray, cloudy, rainy place. But it's also filtered through how these characters experience the world around them, which is just as like pure shit. It's just like a world that does not give give a shit about them, and so they don't give a shit about it in return. Um, and I I just thought that was a really like. Like, I don't know, you're almost at, by the time that moment in the film comes around, you're dying for something nice, you know, or yeah. or, or pretty <laughs> or clean. And even when it's hit, it's put right in front of you, you're still kind of denied it. And I just thought it was a really, uh, I, I really appreciated that moment
1: in the, in the film for that reason. Oh, I was having some thoughts about the soundtrack. And I noticed that, like, I know we had that conversation like five minutes ago, but it definitely, like, marks the passage of time in the first mm-hmm. movie. I, like, I think, I, I tried to read the original um Train spotting when I was in like 12th grade. Hmm. It's like incomprehensible because it's written in a Scottish dialect. Oh, written in the dialect, yeah, yeah, it's like everything's written in Scottish slang, and I couldn't understand yeah. it. It was like a Clockwork Orange, but I was <laughs> on <the age> <laughs> um, Yeah, but um Irvin Welsh, the author of the original um book, which was later turned into the screenplay, like made a big point that all of his books are about transitions, and in the early parts of the movie the characters are just, like, uh, Scottish punks, so they're really aligned with the punk scene. And then, like, them transitioning to the hyper-fueled, like, underground dance music scene, the rave scene, um, with, like, the heavy beats and the MDMA, it definitely, like, transitions into the future. And I think, like, the disappointing thing, like, as you guys were mentioning with the um, Trainspotting 2 is it doesn't really mark that passage of time. It's just, like, people stuck in, like, the same Infinite playlist, which is just, I don't know, disappointing because the music was so iconic in the first one.
2: So good. yeah It's it's really one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard. I think it like it lives up to the hype. Yep. I think it's fantastic one
5: of the throughout. one of the terms I've been dying to say in this episode that I just remembered is euro track. And <laughs> cuz I think that's the, boy, what you said bro- a- <laughs> cuz I guess that's like the name the unofficial name for the genre of music uh that this movie kind of has. Um Eurotrash. What a fun name for a genre of music. <laughs> That's my contribution.
3: Um, something that I wanted to point out about the first train spotting was I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Um, I would hope you guys did because it was very obvious. The constant droning noise in the background. Did you guys hear that at all? Like, in in, in, in every scene, it's just droning. And I want to know, I'm curious as to, like, what you guys thought about that. I mean, uh, and to why Danny Boyle made that choice to constantly have that background, like, ambient music.
5: Well, I think that was one-oh-tricks-point-never's decision more than Danny Boyle's. <laughs> I
0: hate you, Samir. <laughs> I mean, again, I think it's just the kind of thing where, like, this film's super fun and frenetic and energetic and fun to watch, but it also wants to fucking annoy the shit out of you and kind of disgust you and and just kind of stress you out. And I, I it's, it it you know, you joke about one-oh-tricks-point-never, tri- but it's kind of uh, Uncut Gems-esque in its... uh and it's uh scoring and it's it's sound in general
2: but i think it's also showing that these characters are also like living in a very like poor industrious area that you know they can't get that like sense of calm until they shoot up
0: oh yeah no stimulating that i I like the
2: the droning noises are only really when they're looking to score and but when but when they do score heroin they they get this sense of like relief which you know could play into like are they glorifying yeah. heroin? I don't think they are. I think they're trying to show that this is like the moment what? you know it's you know at the beginning the beginning of the movie they talk about like how typically like drug addicts are are depicted as someone that just you know they do it and they hate it and it's horrible and nothing good comes from it. but it's like obviously like they talk about how it's like an orgasm times one thousand is like the quote that they use to describe it like it does they wouldn't have gotten addicted
0: to it if it wasn't so such a great feeling you, at the time oh yeah oh I mean, I mean a movie that it really reminded me of too uh that i I'm, i forgot to bring this up earlier uh but it like narratively they're almost beat for beat the same as another round
3: mm-hmm. um so do, very similar very similar do you guys think if all the the mates as they say in this movie they all didn't do heroin <laughs> do you guys think they'd still be friends like I I want I cuz they ne- They were
2: pretty destructive. I was going to say cuz <laughs> they, cause they yeah. never yeah. like point
3: out the at least I don't think they do the origin of how they all met each other. It's kind of just like they all do drugs together and that's kind of what keeps I them feel together. like
5: that's the crux of most friendships these, day- <laughs> these <laughs> days. So that's accurate. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it was alluded to like um Well, mostly in the second movie, but it just seems like they grew up with each other and they were, like, stuck with each other. And I guess the values of the time period, because they grew up, I I think, like, looking at their um, age range was pretty interesting, because they grew up as the industrial era of Scotland was declining, so they didn't really know, like, any other alternative. And, like, the values associated with that, like, pro-labor mindset was, like, solidarity with each other, so, like, they're mates and mates for life, because they're just like stuck with each other so they have to like I don't know cause like for instance Tommy at the beginning of the movie wasn't a drug user and also um Bagby didn't do heroin yeah, her, so it's just like them. them just being stuck with each other yeah. yeah
2: it brings back to the like the point where it's like you know I fucking hate him but he's a mate what you gonna do like that's repeated yeah. throughout yeah. And, it kinda and even comes, at the very end it like, comes to a boiling point at the end where Mark leaves with the money um, right. I his think his if that's
0: one funny Sam yeah, I they... think his decision to leave some money for his friend um is kind of part of that too cuz I that's kind of even like touched on in the sequel it's like it's kind of like he just left in the money as a sort of like like I mean I still can't I know I'm not going to be able to separate myself from you so like you know here's some money to kind of uh hopefully like help help you you know push you along too a little bit you know. That is the one final scene I do want to talk about
2: with this film is when um, spud sees him leaving with the money i always was i find that to be like i for some reason i was shocked uh in that moment and i thought that was done absolutely beautifully i think it's a really interesting conundrum um when in that scene and it's it's almost like soft and and sweet when it's been so droning and frenetic the entire time and it's kind of just this moment where two friends are looking at each other and they realize what's going to happen and nothing's said and nothing sad or gross or disgusting happens. There, they just kind of have an intimate moment with each and other. Then there's, I thought that was one of my yeah, favorite parts. The there's movie. also
3: that like small tear that pulls in like the corner of his nose too, which I think is just a, yeah. another really cool detail that does make that moment the most Emotional character-wise, which is interesting because it's not necessarily an emotional moment. But I also agree. I,
4: yeah,
0: I agree, and I, I think I, I love. I think Spud is by far my favorite character, just because he he is the only one that I feel like you're kind of
4: rooting for. Rooting
0: for, yeah, rooting for, like, like.
1: I think you just feel bad yeah. for him because he's the most pathetic. Because he's definitely slower than all the other characters. Because he's definitely pathetic, but there's
0: also just something kind of like innocent and cute about him, you know? Yeah. I mean, you and Bremner, who played that, also was in um, uh, Julian Donkey Boy. He plays Julian, which is like a Harmony Korine film. Is that the... Yeah. Uh, which, like, you know, Harmony Korine is actually another Everybody. director you know, to uh, talk about as it relates to this because he's always dealing with these... Very similar types of characters. So, I, I don't know much else about Ewan Bremner's career, but I get the sense that uh, he just plays pathetic people because he kind of, unfortunately, he just has that perfect, <laughs> like, egghead kind of, like, weird look. You know, that just, yeah. it works almost too yeah, well. Just for these, a derpy right? looking food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts on, on train spotting? Any any hot takes you want to spooge on before we get out of here?
1: Oh, man, the hottest take? Um, it could be train spotting like, or all of film at- related, I mean. Like
0: let him let him oh, out man. or cultural. T- Political. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh man. I I, I want to go like all Freudian and shit on T two. <laughs> it's sort of like how um th- there's like that concept of the phallus. Like it, it doesn't mm-hmm. refer to the penis, it refers to just like the act of control and um the ability to have authority over your life and stuff right. like that. Or authority over your domain. And all the characters in T two just failed to live up to society's a envisionment of what someone in control would have meaning like the neoliberal doctrines that would make someone successful in the world and as seen through Veronica who sort of just like out hustles and outsways and steals the hundred thousand dollars and also that one scene where she's like has a dildo and like sodomizes that yeah. dude um she's the one who takes the phallus <laughs> and oh. that, that's my hot take
0: <laughs> oh, I like that reading yeah I think the very introduction of Veronica is just like a really bizarre but interesting choice uh, yeah. Into this whole world and this whole story, um, but yeah. So I have one last question for you guys, totally unrelated. So, like, I think we teased at uh, at some point during this episode that we're likely going to be discussing Godzilla vs Kong on next week's episode, and because none of us have seen it yet, I think we gotta log our guesses now. Uh, and this, 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 I could argue, is a maybe a very political question in and of itself. You know, that's I think that that's a conversation to be had uh, maybe during the episode, but. Who do you think will win? And we'll include John as well. We'll go around. Who do you think will win in the, the battle between man or ape and uh, and dinosaur?
2: Reptile more. Yeah, reptile, reptile, dinosaur, man. whatever you want to call. It. That's I mean that's kind of reptile erasure, don't you think? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you can I think that. we I think we know where you stand already because if also no, I don't, love I don't you love Planet of the Planet of the Apes, it's all you fucking talk about.
0: I don't know your that, love of orangutans I'll, well, if you want of... I can start us off I I'm I'm pulling for Godzilla 100% really? so.
4: mm.
0: oh, wow. <laughs> oh I'm so, you got to pull for Godzilla That's pretty neo-lib, don't you think?
2: No, I think you're
0: you have a way wrong. If anything, this is my brief political reading of it, but I think it's safe to say that that King Kong is like the reason I think King Kong will win is because he represents man and and at least an American studio would never tell a story that doesn't allow man to prevail over nature slash earth, which I think is more so represented by by Godzilla. Uh, I also just think he kind of represents, like, America a little more, King Kong, because he's so wrapped up with, like, New York City and Empire State Building and all that. Whereas Godzilla, obviously, is is represents more so Eastern culture, uh, having his roots in Japan. So i i that's why I'm, I'm rooting for godzilla but i'm, I'm fairly confident that they would never they would not make this movie and not let god uh king kong win will you boo if godzilla loses <laughs> it depends i mean there, this film could really piss me off actually i know that sounds <laughs> <laughs> it very it, it very it really it certainly could so it's very very, definitely a possibility dane where do you stand
3: um well, I was gonna say King Kong, but now I'm like, stuck. Good. go against. Like, I, I don't... Wait, oh, no,
0: no, I, I, I said King Kong. Oh, okay. I just I'm rooting for Godzilla. I,
3: I mean, I, I'm siding with King Kong. I, I think. Well, for the main reason is I thought Kong Skull Island was an awesome movie. Definitely the best of the solo movies of the MonsterVerse, um, in in my opinion. <laughs> But there's a monster. Well verse. not really. It's kinda of, it's two Godzilla movies and then one Kong movie. I think. Um yeah. But I oh, I personally think you know, Kong's got that axe. He's uh I think he's gonna be serving up some uh some juicy blows to Godzilla.
0: Yeah, he's looking like Thor with that axe. He, he is mm. I th- he said he's got that ass. He, uh, hey, and I he, was like, he's got uh, that uh, big
2: hairy ass, uh, ass too. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, uh, see, is Kong triple caked up? Is that who's going to prevail? It, it'd be hilarious
3: if he the final blow to Godzilla is he just like twerks on him to whop. It's the great cultural <laughs> touchstone. I, I, I know. I just, I, I just tripped over my words because I visualized it. Is like, yeah, like Kong, like clapping his ass on uh, Godzilla's face. <laughs> um
0: well have you guys seen the meme of uh uh someone was like oh my god i i love the scene in godzilla versus kong and they photoshopped godzilla and kong into the marriage <laughs> story meme <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's funny. yeah so I- i'm siding with kong
2: john where All do right. you stand on um, this hot
1: take so godzilla's a reptile mm. Reptiles are shapeshifters, as in the Queen of England. (laughs) Reptiles are Illuminati, too, so I'm going King Kong. (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right. All
2: right. I'm going to go with I don't think they're going to actually fight each other. I think they're going to team up and fight something else or something like that. I don't know what this plot is, but I don't think one's going to defeat the other. In a mythical battle of the two, Godzilla wins. He breathes fire. He's got like very thick. But are you telling me I'm, like you can't bludgeon Godzilla? Like he's a. But they have th- they have thick
0: skin. But that's the,
1: yeah. But he's cold blooded too. Yeah. Like if it gets cold, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Like what? how
0: long no, but do you think that's exactly? Because I, I, theoretically agree, but that's exactly my concern. I'm, I'm fairly confident having not watched the movie. that This is how exactly what they're going to do is they're going to build Godzilla up. As this indomitable force, of course he's, he's, the, he's the heel <laughs> and King Kong's yeah. the face. Yeah, of course mm-hmm. he's stronger, but he's he's somehow evil. Blah blah blah. Um, picks himself up by the bootstraps, is, and yeah, but King Kong is just <laughs> like a, an ape who outworked him. You know, basically. Wow. So like, like, yeah. I mean, look, it, working class. But it, but <laughs> it really is kind of like exactly what what they're gonna try to, to push is like, and it, is is King Kong sort of representing like empire prevailing over? Uh, then like the natural order of things, which is Corey. You is, do is know you can similar, just watch a movie and not think
2: warming. of how it relates, <laughs> yeah. To I, I was gonna oh,
3: say I it's mean... gonna be really weird when this movie ends with King Kong sitting behind a cubicle, like typing on a computer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like the
0: original Godzilla films are are all about like a climate change, global warming, like the destruction of our planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that they've always been monsters, have always been allegories yep. for these things, so it's nothing new.
1: Or is this an allegory for the income and cold war between the US yeah, and China? That's, that's true. real question. Yeah.
5: <laughs> all right, who do you think? Kong is a simp Godzilla all the way. Yes,
3: <laughs> let's go no, Samir. here. Just... Alright.
0: So we have what is it, uh two Godzillas, three Kongs, as far as our I guess. I'm go? honestly,
3: hmm. I'm very intrigued with uh John's whole Illuminati aspect. Like I I'm not me picturing <laughs> things again like End of the movie, like, Kong opens up his mouth and, like, fucking Beyonce, like, walks out and, like, gives the Illuminati triangle. <laughs> oh,
0: can there please be a musical did you
5: number? Guys,
3: <laughs> did you guys
5: see the one? Uh, no, <laughs> bro, to fucking Kong? Can there please be a Kong, musical number? Kong and Godzilla are just doing,
3: like, uh, TikTok dances. Like, like a show tune?
0: Like, you know, yeah. like, you know you know what? Uh, this is the end. How um, It ends with uh, the Backstreet Boys. Like, imagine yeah, this movie yeah. ends, and like, they just, they get together, and like, back streets, back. <laughs> oh, Brad! <laughs> see,
5: did you guys see the one Lil Nas X tweet where he was, like, um, <laughs> he tried to make, like, an Illuminati conspiracy video with, like, the music video for so uh, Call Me By Your Name? He's such uh, a good troll. Lil Nas X twerking. I, I, I feel dog. like i feel like the director of godzilla versus kong wants illuminati conspiracy theories like there's probably going to be stuff in there well the director
0: is um actually it's his name's adam wingard i don't know if you've seen anything else by him but he actually has this really fun little movie called the guest um which is it's just like it's a, if you ever want to watch it, it's oh like uh, yeah
5: I, i've seen that i've seen it yeah
0: it's really short and i think it's a fun little thriller it's just it's about this like military vet who comes home and lives with this mysterious family um, and it's, Dan Stevens is a really underrated actor. I, I, so I do actually think it could be a good movie, because Adam Wingard, uh, I think has, he, he's got some style, much more than, like, like Michael I was next, about to say, that's
3: something that I've been reading a lot, is actually that the, the direction of the movie. I've seen a lot of tweets really acknowledging Adam Wingard about, um, the way he films the monster spy. Ah, oh, I'm, I'm seeing this movie tomorrow in theaters. I'm so excited. Oh my god.
5: Yeah,
0: very jealous of that. I think
5: Adam. Wingard, that being said, too, uh... that being said, Adam Wingard. I'm seeing also directed the 2017 film Death Note. uh oh, game,
2: Yeah, which got no. sh- okay with <laughs> Alex
5: with my with my
2: blood. Yeah, with Nat wolf Yeah, with your blood. Oh no! <laughs> what
3: are we gonna start seeing oh, you? Oh god, Sam. I feel like, what?
2: Dude, once they return my call. <laughs> That they actually have me. I'm a Will Poulter uh, impersonator. So Impersonator? So if they need anything with Will they Poulter, ever, if they, hey, uh,
3: they ever make a Toy Story live action film, you could play. Yeah, Dan, Sid. Dan. I can play Sid.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Dane.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah, I don't know what I thought. Adam Wingard is attached to direct the Thundercats Cats adaptation, am, as well we as a that. sequel to Face Off face-off 2 which is probably wow. will be slotted right next to train spotting <laughs> 2 in terms of unnecessary sequels yeah. <laughs> see it all comes it's full circle back here to the at, wow yeah. what a great host he is yeah try to bring it bring it home for it's all filming games well any any final thoughts before we wrap up here anybody want to say anything john was as impressive as i thought he would be
2: yeah i think i mm-hmm. think exactly.
0: Oh my God. Well, I think listeners are gonna wonder why I, why we're still honor. doing the podcast and it's not John who's just yeah. on every feature episode. Well I'll
3: say I'll say it all the time. Anytime John why. tweets, but, I have no idea what he's talking about. They
1: all go right yeah. over my head. Absolutely <laughs> none. Absolutely none. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know what I about. They make me laugh, up, and <laughs> I don't know why. I, I genuinely <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I genuinely appreciate being on the podcast. This is in my top five listens of podcasts oh, yes. um, because you know what? Sometimes I'm at work and I just want to listen to my homies banter, so mm. I just have it on in the background. It's really oh, nice. Yeah. We love you, John.
0: Yeah. Well, now you can. You, now you'll you'll figure out what it feels like to listen to yourself banter. Which I don't. Know, I can't speak for the rest of the guys, but I kinda yeah. absolutely despise yeah. it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might not listen to the yeah, next really, episode. Yeah, listen- sorry. I don't like <laughs> listening podcasts. to my own on
0: my own podcast is the worst thing I can imagine. It's just awful. <laughs> <every time. laughs> uh but i love these guys anyway Ah. i love you john and a lot of fun uh, recording tonight's episode with that this has been it's all film and games i am Corey. alongside me is dane sam samir and john nallian thanks for listening folks pro italian (laughs) nallian oh yeah. yeah that that could be a future john episode yeah yeah